This is The Guardian. Today, the inquiry into the January the 6th riots is over, and its explosive conclusion is that Donald Trump should face criminal charges. But will he? Over the past 18 months, a team of investigators has been poring over the evidence of what happened that day, January the 6th, 2021, and who was responsible. The team has interviewed more than a thousand witnesses. The president said something to the effect of, I'm the effing president. Take me up to the Capitol now. Looked at 20,000 hours of video footage What were the chances of President Trump winning the election? After that point? Yes. None. And produced a final report that runs to 845 pages. This committee is nearing the end of its work. But as the country, we remain in strange and uncharted waters. More than 700 people were arrested for their part in the riots at the Capitol building in Washington. But this report blames one man for inciting them. He personally asked for us to come to D.C. that day. If this is the only thing he's going to ask of me, I'll do it. The committee believes that more than sufficient evidence exists for a criminal referral of former President Trump. It's the most damning report ever made into a US president. And it's come at a time when his party, the Republicans, are in chaos. On this vote, the yeas are 200. The House is not in order. On this vote, the yeas are 200. We begin tonight with the drama on Capitol Hill, the stalemate. Six rounds of votes and Kevin McCarthy failing to get the votes he needed. The motion is adopted. This week, their leader, Kevin McCarthy, was expected to be sworn in as Speaker of the House of Representatives. But his party rebelled and have repeatedly refused to elect him. And so, for the first time in a hundred years, one of the most important institutions in the US is left without a leader. Meanwhile, Donald Trump is still forging on with his bid to be re-elected as president. America's comeback starts right now. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, will Donald Trump pay for the storming of the Capitol? Hugo Lowell, you're a reporter based in The Guardian's Washington bureau, and you've written extensively about Donald Trump. Thinking back to January the 6th, 2021, We've probably all got these images in our heads of people storming the Capitol building, the self-styled shaman in his horned headdress, and a president, Donald Trump, who was conspicuous for his absence. The committee investigating what happened that day has just concluded. What exactly had it been set up to uncover? 
I think the principal aim of the committee was always to figure out how January 6 came together and why it unfolded in the way that it did. Good afternoon, and may God bless the United States of America. To cast a vote in the United States is an act of faith and hope. When we drop but, you know, over the course of the investigation, its purview necessarily expanded because they needed to examine Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election more widely and to see how January 6 fit into essentially a multi-part scheme by Trump to try and return himself to the Oval Office. I believe nearly two years later, this is still a time of reflection and reckoning. If we are to survive as a nation of laws and democracy, this can never happen again. How do we stop it? And to that end, it conducted perhaps the most sprawling and unprecedented investigation that Congress has ever done. It deposed more than a thousand witnesses, reviewed uh, more than a million documents, it issued subpoenas to Trump and some of his closest allies in and out of the West Wing, uh, and finally presented its findings over 10 public hearings, most of which were in the summer, uh, as well as in the recently released final report that essentially was a searing condemnation of Trump and his actions leading up to the Capitol attack. So this really is on a scale that has never been seen before in the US. What were the main findings of the committee? I think there were multiple. I think principally it was, you know, that Trump oversaw a criminal conspiracy to retire himself to the White House. January 6th, 2021 was the first time one American president refused his constitutional duty to transfer power peacefully to the next. You know, first of all, I think Trump knew he lost, but continued to claim in public that the election was stolen. Donald Trump knowingly and corruptly repeated election fraud lies, which incited his supporters to violence on January 6th. You know, you have a lot of Republican testimony and White House testimony to that effect. You know, Bill Barr, the former attorney general, saying that Trump's claims about a stolen election were, were nonsense. I told him that the stuff that his people were shoveling out to the public were bull, was bullshit. I mean, that the claims of fraud were bullshit. Kellyanne Conway, a real loyal aide to Trump, who actually came up with the term fake news uh, or alternative facts uh, when she was in the White House, saying, you know, Trump privately conceded to her that he had lost, you know, mm. and how Trump was repeatedly in the post-election period told how his schemes that he was trying to pursue were unlawful, but he continued to pursue them anyway. And concluding essentially that this was a premeditated event. Essentially, yeah, I, I think the biggest takeaway from the committee and the biggest gift of the investigation was to basically lay out for the American people how these various events took place in very sequential and consecutive ways. Ex-President Trump's decision to declare victory falsely on election night wasn't a spontaneous decision. It was premeditated. The committee has evidence that ex-President Trump planned to declare victory and unlawfully to call for the vote counting to stop. And that he told numerous... There was a lot of planning behind the scenes. There was a lot of involvement from the White House, the Trump campaign, and kind of external legal advisors, and how it all came together on January 6th in the most explosive way. And a lot of the people who rioted that day have ended up in court and faced jail time for what they did. But of course, Donald Trump hasn't. How did the committee make the case that Trump was responsible for 
what those rioters had done. Look, the key takeaway from the report and the hearings was that without Trump, January 6th would never have happened. If Trump wasn't there, there would have been no effort to decapitate the leadership of the Justice Department because, you know, Trump was trying to get DOJ to say the election was corrupt and launch frivolous investigations. And so when all else failed, the committee kind of showed that Trump turned his focus to January 6th. He tweets on December 19, 2020, you know, there will be a wild protest on January 6th. Be there will be wild. And the committee charts how that set into motion the preparations for what became, number one, the political plan to pressure Pence, and number two, the coup plan, as it's being described by the committee, to you know perpetrated by the rioters and these far-right extremist groups like the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys to actually storm the Capitol. He personally asked for us to come to D.C. that day. What it was going to be was an armed revolution. I mean, people died that day. There was a gallows set up in front of the Capitol. This could have been the spark that started a new civil war. But each step of the way, it was Trump who was pushing it. Without Trump, none of this would have ever happened. Why didn't Trump himself have to go up before the committee? So the committee did actually subpoena Trump, um, but they subpoenaed him at the tail end of the investigation. And I think this was a recognition that they would not be able to get Trump in anyway because of executive privilege issues hmm. uh, and because of basically protracted litigation that would have been leveled by Trump's lawyers. And I think the committee decided it was much better and more compelling rather than to have Trump come and you know, turn the investigation into a, into a clown show. It was more compelling to have witnesses and people around Trump, close aides, former administration officials, testify to his wrongdoing as a way to present the story of January 6th. Mm. So after all of these months of investigations, thousand witnesses, millions of documents, the committee of nine was dissolved on Tuesday. What did they conclude in their final statements? Yeah, so in late December, they had their final public session it wasn't a hearing, it was a business meeting where they voted to adopt the final report. It's just the congressional proceeding. Um, they just go through the motions. But then they also tacked on what we don't typically see uh, for congressional committees. And that was making criminal referrals against people involved in January 6th. And principally, the focus, you know, as you might imagine, was on Trump. Several months ago, you tasked several of our members in a subcommittee with bringing recommendations to the full committee about potential referrals to the Department of Justice and other authorities, we are now prepared to share those recommendations today. Mr. Chairman, let me begin with some... So in laying out its findings, the committee basically said it had uncovered evidence to suggest Trump committed multiple crimes, uh, and they made these criminal referrals to the Justice Department, um, even though the criminal referrals are not binding on the Justice Department, and you know, the ultimate decision on whether to issue charge or issue an indictment comes from federal prosecutors, and in this case, the Attorney General Merrick Garland, it was still an explosive end for this unprecedented investigation. Ours is not a system of justice where foot soldiers go to jail and the masterminds and ringleaders get a free pass. So what are the four counts then that the committees laid out against Trump? I mean, the committee made 
four criminal referrals, which, by the way, is unprecedented for any congressional committee. You know, the first referral was for obstruction of an official proceeding. You know, January 6th was about stopping the certification of Biden's election win, and Trump was seeking to stop this. In repeated telephone calls and in-person meetings, Donald Trump pressured state elections officials and state legislators to alter official election results. Uh, the second referral was for conspiracy to defraud the U.S. government, again, because of his efforts to, to, to stop the certification through deceitful means. The third referral was for conspiracy to make a false statement, again, you know, to do with Trump's efforts to deceive Pence and deceive the Congress by sending these so-called fake electors in, in order to, to stop the certification. When Donald Trump's pressure campaign did not achieve the results he wanted, he oversaw an effort to obtain and transmit false electoral college ballots to Congress and the National Archives. And the fourth referral was the most explosive. It was for incitement of insurrection. It's a really, really major recommendation. I mean, that's almost at the level of seditious conspiracy in terms of seriousness. It is a grave federal offense anchored in the Constitution itself, which repeatedly opposes insurrections and domestic violence, and indeed uses participation in insurrection by... And I think these four referrals put together paint a very, very damning picture for Trump. Absolutely. I mean, looking across the course of the history of the US, just how significant is this moment? It's really significant. It basically brought four criminal referrals, all of them backed by a discussion of the evidence and a case that Trump met the elements of the offenses. You know, if you think about all the kind of presidents that have come before him, you know, presidents that have been disgraced, people like Nixon over Watergate, you know, Nixon never really had to deal with the consequences of Watergate because he just resigned. There was no you know, direct criminal indictment against Nixon that would even see him go to jail. In this instance, you're looking at really serious crimes being leveled against Trump by the committee. And even though the Justice Department doesn't have an obligation to take the recommendations, the committee essentially laid out a roadmap to justice, was kind of how the chairman described it. And I think that gives you an idea of the seriousness of what happened and the treacherous moment that Trump faces as he goes into 2023. There being no further business, the select committee stands adjourned. So the evidence is all there, but Hugo, how likely is it, do you think, that Trump will actually be prosecuted? It's a good question, and there's no straight answer. You know, if you look at these four referrals, some are probably stronger than others. We spoke to a bunch of former U.S. attorneys, you know, those are kind of top federal prosecutors, and they suggested the least likely charge would probably be that incitement of insurrection and that the most likely charge the Justice Department would consider bringing would be obstruction of an official proceeding. And basically what the committee said Trump did was in trying to get Pence to stop the certification, that alone is sufficient for a charge. This committee has only been able to recommend that he be charged. The Justice Department doesn't have to act on those recommendations. So if they decide to, what might happen next? The Justice Department has tools that the committee does not. The Justice Department is a federal law enforcement body. 
It can issue grand jury subpoenas. It can issue search warrants. It can seize phones. It can force telecom companies to provide telecommunications data. And there is something completely different to be testifying to the federal government. And when you are sitting in the hot seat, you're being questioned by federal prosecutors for an ongoing criminal case. I think it really compels witnesses to testify more openly and more broadly. And I think for that reason, the Justice Department might have a better ability to extract information that maybe the committee did not. What could be the time frame on this then if Trump was to be hauled up in court? When might that happen? It's relatively straightforward to bring an indictment. You, you know, the Justice Department could probably bring that now based on the evidence that we have. But the Justice Department has to make sure that it wins. And the Justice Department likes to win. It doesn't like to do the humongous charges. It won't, it won't want to do the sexiest charges. They will want to do something that actually leads to a conviction that is not overturned should the defendant appeal. And Trump has an army of lawyers. It will get very litigious. It will get very political. And so I think the Justice Department is going to take a very considered look at the evidence before it makes any sort of charging decisions. I think timeline-wise, it's probably going to come in the first quarter or the second quarter of 2023 if there is an indictment to come. And that's because of the political calendar. The Justice Department is not supposed to crash elections. In 2016, when the FBI and its director, Jim Comey, investigated Hillary Clinton's emails, it ended up crashing the 2016 election because he closed the investigation to Hillary's emails, and then he reopened it and then closed it again, very close to election day. And the Justice Department are very cognizant of that. And they don't want any trials and appeals going late into 2024 that could upend the next presidential election. You're based in Washington, and so you've been able to get a great sense of how this has all been playing out with the public. You know, these committee hearings have been shown on primetime TV. New evidence set to be revealed today as the January 6th committee makes its case to the American people. Here now is Lester Holt. What impact have they had on people in the US, do you think? I think it had an outsized impact that I don't think anyone saw coming. When this committee was first established, it was in many ways a political committee. You know, House Speaker Pelosi put together this select committee, and I think when she did it back in 2021, her vision was to have Trump hold before Congress, you know, raise his right arm and swear that he was going to testify to the truth and that they were going to get him on Capitol Hill and it would be a big spectacle. I think the committee actually outdid itself. I think people had very low expectations because congressional committees in the past have really struggled to conduct oversight. You know, at the first hearing, I think it had a little bit of a shaky start. It was the first one. They weren't quite sure how these hearings would go, but it did get televised prime time on all the networks except Fox. This is an extraordinary moment in American history. The House Select Committee investigating the violent assault on the Capitol is about to hold its first primetime hearing. The and from it had a real impact. The ratings and the numbers of people watching were record-breaking. It was in the millions upon millions of people watched this live. And going into the midterms in 2022, Republicans were very keen to suggest that democracy was not on the ballot. Democracy is not on the ballot because democracy is not determined by the outcome of an election. Democracy is the election itself. I think the fact that the committee held its hearings in the summer before the elections and was able to lay out close ties between Republicans and Trump in orchestrating January 6th, and that contributed to a really bad midterm election cycle 
for Republicans. As it turned out, democracy was on the ballot. People did care about democracy. People also cared about other things like abortion access. But I think in a very real way, the committee managed to paint Republicans as an anti-democratic party in general. And that really helped Democrats in the midterms in a way that I don't think anyone anticipated. Hugo, what of the Republicans who support Trump had to say about the committee's findings? You know, Republicans have always panned the committee and they've always panned its investigation as being political and a witch hunt. I think the country sees it for what it is. It's a partisan political uh, committee. So last night's hearing was a primetime dud. They want to throw Donald Trump in jail if they can't get that done. They want to prevent his name from appearing on the ballot. It simply hasn't been the case. The, the most common criticism of the committee was that it was Democratic-led and that it wasn't bipartisan. It's just simply not true. You know, the vice chair of that committee was Liz Cheney. She is as conservative as you get. Her father, Dick Cheney, was as conservative as you get. These are real Republicans. And I think for Republicans to come back now and say, well, we didn't get a fair shake, just doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Well, you spoke earlier about the impact that this has had on the midterms. How is the Republican Party more broadly, including those who aren't Trump supporters, how are they responding to these findings? I don't know that there is a direct response to the findings because Republicans on Capitol Hill, at least, decided long ago whether they liked Trump or they didn't like Trump. I think it splits into three groups. You get people like Senate uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who has always disliked Trump, but also recognizes that his main goal is political power in the Senate and Republican political power in the Senate. And so if it means having to work with Trump, he will do it. You then get Republicans who hate Trump, people like Liz Cheney, people like Adam Kinzinger will call him out and will not work with him. Very, very few in number. And then you get a lot of Republicans who maybe don't like Trump personally, but because they share a lot of the same voter base, will never say that publicly. I think a lot of views changed after January 6th, including Kevin McCarthy, the House GOP leader, who said in the aftermath of the Capitol attack that Trump was responsible, and he said that publicly on the House floor. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. These facts require immediate action by President Trump. You know, it was just weeks later that he went down to Mar-a-Lago and, you know, kissed the ring and you know, changed his position because he needed Trump's support to effectively corral the rest of the Republican Party behind him. But there is a general recognition that Trump was responsible for January 6th. And I think it sickened a lot of Republicans in a way that the administration, however unhinged as it was, maybe didn't. What's Trump had to say about it then? Trump's been pretty muted, actually, uh, beyond saying, you know, the investigation is a witch hunt and... You know, it was a partisan effort to try and discredit him and prevent him from running for office again. But he's never disputed the, the central facts that the committee has presented. It's always been the same refrain about how it's, it's political, it's a witch hunt, they're out to get me. Coming up, what's this year got in store for Donald Trump? Hugo, this isn't the only major battle that Trump's facing. The last time we spoke to you for the podcast, 
the FBI had just raided his Mar-a-Lago residence to seize boxes of highly classified documents. And then on top of that, you've got the release of the tax returns. So for four years, the Democrats have been in a legal battle to get Trump to release his tax returns. Will you tell us how much you paid in federal income taxes? Millions of dollars. You paid millions of dollars? Millions in, of dollars. So yes. not seven hundred Millions of dollars. And you'll get to see it. I, in millions show us your tax returns. Uh, you'll see it as soon as it's finished. You'll see it. Finally, in the past few weeks, that has happened. What have we learned from them? So the tax returns, again, were not great for Trump. You know, it showed he had a bank account in, in China while he was still president and that he, he really paid next to no tax at all in the years that he served as president. But I think the biggest takeaway for me, actually, was how the IRS did not audit him in the way that it was supposed to um, by federal law. Under statute, the IRS is supposed to automatically uh, audit presidential tax returns. As it turned out, it was only when Democrats retook control of the House in 2018 and the Democratic-led House Ways and Means Committee requested the results of that audit from the IRS that the IRS even decided to start auditing Trump at all. Hmm. Um, you know, Trump has been claiming he was under audit all four years of his White House. It's just simply not true. And so I think really it's just as much of an indictment on the IRS and the Treasury Department as it was Trump. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. Trump's confirmed that he's going to run for the presidency in 2024. Do you think that any of the evidence that we've been discussing, the committee's findings, his tax returns, will stand against him in that race significantly? It's a really good question. And I think there are two ways it can go. If Trump is indicted and he manages to spin it particularly well, then Trump might actually come out stronger than he currently is. Trump's probably at his weakest now. You know, he's coming off the back of, you know, this congressional investigation. It's been very embarrassing for him. He's, he's had a loss in, in a civil case in New York over the Trump organization. So if he is indicted and he can spin it in a way that is beneficial for him, it may be a big boost to his campaign. Conversely, if he's unable to spin it or his opponents, people, you know, or perceived opponents, people like Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, who is, we understand is strongly considering entering the 2024 presidential race. If he is able to weaponize that against Trump as a cudgel and to tell kind of MAGA, you know, or Republican voters, you know, Anthony, you shouldn't be voting for a felon, you should be voting for me that has the same America first policies, but without the baggage, then it could be a real death knell for Trump personally. Okay, so you're looking ahead to another year of extraordinary goings-on in US politics. What can we expect over the next few months, do you think? I think the next few months are going to be very crucial. You know, I think we have to see how the Justice Department moves with these criminal investigations into Trump. It's important to note these criminal investigations um, won't bar Trump from running for president. So the dynamic between the Trump campaign and the Justice Department is going to be the one I think that takes up the most oxygen in US politics in the coming year, but particularly in the next few months, because there's such a crunch moment for the Justice Department. They really, I think, have to make a decision probably by late spring. Um, you know, the Justice Department has to make these decisions based on the evidence only. They're not supposed to take into account any sort of political ramifications. But at the same time, prosecutors 
are human. They're not robots. They know that they may be shaping an election. And that's really problematic. You know, the United States doesn't like to prosecute presidents. It's just not the kind of thing that this country does. And it's a really momentous decision. And the people who make it are going to be left with the consequences of that decision for the rest of their lives. Hugo, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That was Hugo Lowell. You can keep up with his reporting from Washington at theguardian.com. Now, you might have already donated to The Guardian's charity appeal, which is raising money for citizens' advice and locality. I was on the phones answering your calls a few weeks ago, and I was just amazed by how generous you were. And yeah, thank you so much. There's still time to give, however much you can afford towards these great charities who are helping people in the UK who are living in poverty. You just need to go to theguardian.com forward slash charity appeal 2022. This episode was produced by Tom Glasser and sound designed by Solomon King. The executive producer was Hummer Khalili. We'll be back on Monday. This is The Guardian. 